Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming Versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the rapture and the second coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Welcome to another program of Exploring Bible Prophecy. We're going to pick up where we left off in our last program, and that's in a series called The Differences Between the Rapture of the Church and the Second Coming of Christ. And when we left off in our last program, we were looking at our handout that you can find. Uh, This church graciously provides that handout, and you find that at whcbradio.org, whcbradio.org. And uh, you can search for the title, and we are in point number two as we compare the rapture to the second coming. And we are over in the second column in that handout at point number two that reads, Jesus comes with his church or his bride from heaven immediately after the tribulation. So in the first point, we discussed in detail the difference about Jesus coming from heaven or Jesus going uh, to heaven. And in this point, we're talking about when that uh, would basically happen. Does the Bible give us any hints as to time frame? Now, you know that uh, we're certainly not date setters about the, uh, the rapture of the church, but we can say with a great deal of uh, biblical authority that once the tribulation starts, we know the day that Jesus comes back to the, church, uh, back to the earth to judge And if that has not been clear to you, we certainly uh, will endeavor to do that as we go through this series. So let's pick up again and do a little, just a little bit of review in uh, point number two under the, uh, when Jesus returns to the earth with his bride. And we were using as the main scripture there, Matthew chapter 24. So in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first of those gospels in order, we're in chapter 24. And we were looking at uh, verses uh, 29 to 31, and it says, but immediately after the tribulation of those days. So backing away from quoting just a moment, you can see very clearly that it says after the tribulation of those days. And of course, that tribulation is explained uh, back earlier in Matthew 24 as being the tribulation. So returning to the scripture, uh, verse 29, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. And then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So you can see pretty clearly here in Matthew 24, particularly in verse 29, that this is after the tribulation when the Lord comes back. And we wanted to uh, make a few uh, distinctive points here uh, to show that we are talking about the second coming. We're talking about after the tribulation and that the church is not involved in uh, anything that's going on on the earth. The church is actually now the wife of Christ, and we are coming back with him at this point 
in uh, Matthew 24 uh, to be with him on the earth as he sets up his millennial kingdom. And one of the things we did was we looked at the word elect. And the word elect is found in verse 31. And also, if you turn back just a page, uh, maybe it's a page in your Bible, it is in mine. And in Matthew 24, 21, it says, and then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor will it ever be. And then verse 22, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, as we uh, spoke last time, there are theologians who firmly believe that the word elect is referring to the church. But a look back into the Old Testament, and specifically to Isaiah 65 and verse 9, which we have in our handout there, you see that Israel is also referred to as the chosen ones, which is another word for elect. In fact, in Matthew 24, the footnote for elect is chosen one. So the Lord looks at the righteous of Israel as the chosen ones, as the elect, and Christ looks at the church as the chosen ones, the elect. So that's one way uh, that I uh, explain why this is definitely a um, passage that involves Israel and it involves activities that are on the earth that it does not involve the church. So a new point here in uh, point number two that we would like to pick up today has to do with the trumpet. And you don't hear uh, many people pick up on this particular point, but I think it uh, is very clear that it describes an event that involves Israel, and this is not the trumpet that we read about in, for instance, 1 Corinthians 15, um, where a trumpet sound calls the church up to heaven. So let's look at verse 31 of Matthew 24, and it says, He, Jesus, when he comes back, will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they, his angels, will gather together his elect, which we understand here to be Israel, from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So these people that are being gathered, the elect, are living on the earth at the time of the second coming of Christ. Now what I'd like you to see is a wonderful prophecy that was given over 600 years before Christ was even born, so to us, 2,600-plus years ago. And that's found in the book of Isaiah. So you go back into the Old Testament, and if you find the Psalms, keep going back, going to the right from the Psalms and the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Then you get to Isaiah, and you want to go to the end of Isaiah. And, of course, Isaiah, as I mentioned, oh, a few episodes ago um, in one program, pointing out that at the end of Isaiah, uh, particularly almost the the last third of Isaiah, is about the redemption of Israel by God, and most of the references are to the tribulation and to the millennial kingdom, neither uh, event of which has happened yet, so there's still prophecies. But he talks about in the beginning of Isaiah— in 27, even, he's talking still about his, remember, Israel is God's wife. He's talking about how even though in their rebellion, he is still thinking about their future. 
and how he is going to uh, recover them. So in Isaiah chapter 27, Isaiah chapter 27, looking at verses 12 and 13, Isaiah 27, verse 12, it says, In that day the Lord will start his threshing from the flowing stream of the Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, and you will be gathered up one by one, O sons of Israel. And it will come about also in that day that a great trumpet, a great trumpet will be blown, and those who were perishing in the land of Assyria and who were scattered in the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord in the holy mountain at Jerusalem. So you can see from phrases like, in that day, um, the threshing floor, that has not happened, but particularly the, the last part of the last verse, the holy mountain at Jerusalem. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 2, and we don't have time to go there, but we have referenced it, and I'm sure we'll reference it again in this series uh, talks about the holy mountain of God that is set up with Jesus Christ sitting on the throne in bodily form during the millennial kingdom. So he's talking about blowing a great trumpet, and he's talking about gathering the Jews. So when you look at the word elect and you see the great trumpet gathering the Jews, then uh, you know that they're one and the same. The elect and the righteous uh, Jews of Israel are what's in view in Matthew 24 and not the church. Um, I prayerfully hope that you see that because for it to be the church, you'd have to do uh, mental gymnastics to explain <laughs> pretty much Matthew 24 and the, uh, the surrounding chapters in context. So let's, uh, let's finish up point number two here under uh, Jesus at the second coming with another passage that makes it clear that these events are at the end of the tribulation, which is the, the point we're trying to prove biblically here in point two. So let's turn to the second to last book in the Old Testament. Second to last book, that's the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, and right towards the end there in Zechariah 14, the first verse, uh, first few verses, or actually, no, uh, we've done that before. Let's look specifically at verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5 to make our point here about the Lord coming back with his bride uh, at the end of the tribulation. And in Zechariah 14, at verse 4, it says, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move towards the north and the other half towards the south. You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So remember from um, past episodes in this series that the Lord, when he comes for the church, does not touch the earth. He comes in the air. In fact, it's interesting when you look at, uh, for instance, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 24, and you see uh, what Jesus is doing on the Mount when he's talking to the, his, uh, 
chosen few apostles there. He's sitting, and this was symbolic in the scripture. When you're sitting, you're not there as an authority figure. You're not there as a conquering figure. But when you come to stand on the mount, you are making a statement. And we see that Jesus does that. He reverts from sitting on the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24. Now he's seen as standing on the Mount of Olives. And not only does he stand, but the, the Mount literally cleaves in half. And it's interesting, uh, sometime, and I don't remember specifically, but sometime certainly in the last hundred years, uh, geologists have discovered a fault line that runs straight through the Mount of Olives and it goes from east to west. So just as it states here, when he stands on that, there will be an earthquake, and that mount, which is less than a mile away from the Temple Mount uh, across the Kidron Valley, that Mount of Olives will cleave in half and move from north to south, and the people will be able to escape through that. Because as we'll see later, when the Antichrist comes at Armageddon, they will attack the city, and this will be the way for the people to leave the, t- the city temporarily as the Lord goes to war against those who are bringing the conflict to, to Israel. So um, the point I wanted to make here as well, when you see the Acts chapter 1 reference in parentheses there at point number 2, is you'll recall, again from another episode of this series, where we use that one to describe how Jesus lifted up off the earth. He was standing on the Mount of Olives talking to the disciples uh, in a group, not in an authoritative uh, position as we were just discussing, but just as a conversation point to show that he lifted off from the Mount of Olives. And as they were looking up, two angels came and spoke to the apostles who were standing there with him on the Mount of Olives at that point and said, uh, why are you staring at him? He's going to come back exactly the way you saw him leave. So that's the reference. When he comes back, he will come back and stand on the Mount of Olives just as he was when he left to go up to heaven at the end of his ministry during his first coming to the earth. He left, went up to heaven, and is sitting at the right hand of the Father waiting to come back for his church. So what a wonderful picture we have of Jesus coming back and with his holy ones, with his elect. In this case, he's referring to the church because the elect of Israel are on the earth, and those are the ones that will go into the millennial kingdom. Again, another point that we'll discuss uh, in detail later on in this series. So let's, um, let's move now from point number two. Uh, to show that uh, he is coming back immediately after the tribulation. And let's go uh, to point number three, and let's uh, begin some exploration there. And that point is that Jesus takes his church or bride uh, up to heaven before the tribulation, and this is Daniel's 70th week. So we want to make the point here that the rapture of the church takes place before the tribulation period. And we uh, emphasize the point before the tribulation period because that's our uh, position uh, in terms of that particular event. Now, there are people that uh, believe that uh, the rapture of the church, well, there are a fair number of people, even more so today than before, that believe there is no rapture. And that's uh, quite unfortunate. (laughs) 
but there are also others that believe that the rapture takes place at the midpoint. In other words, it's a seven-year period that we're going to discuss in some detail here at point number three, that um, it's a seven-year period in the middle of that, uh, Daniel says, after three and a half years, um, that is when God will bring his wrath, and that's the wrath that we're promised to be uh, saved from. Well, well, we'll hopefully show you through the Scripture that while that is God's wrath, that does, that's not a demarcation for the church. That's a demarcation for Israel only. And then there are those that believe that there's a point in time uh, when the seventh trumpet of the seals, trumpets, and bowls judgments of the, Revel- of the book of Revelation, that the last trumpet that's referred to in the rapture passages refers to that event um, being uh, at, the, at the last trumpet. And uh, that, uh, I do not believe, is the case either because those trumpets are clearly described as being for other purposes, to bring in uh, judgment on the earth. And then there are those that believe that the church is raptured uh, right at uh, kind of in a blinking of the eye as uh, Jesus comes back at his second coming. In other words, the, the righteous of the earth go up to heaven and then immediately come back down with him so that he can judge the earth. And in general, those are the same people that believe that we go right into eternity uh, at that point. And um, I certainly uh, intend, it is my intent to show you from the plain uh, interpretation of Scripture, the plain reading of Scripture, that uh, those are not the case, that when it says that we are to be protected from the wrath to come, that the wrath is the entire seven years of, um, to use a phrase, hell on earth, because it says that the, it has never happened before and that event will never happen again. And it is a terrible, terrible event where half the world's population dies in the first half. So enough said about that. Uh, we want to explore that particular point uh, as we look at point number three. But we're going to um, take time now and we're going to answer a question from a listener and then we'll get into point number three in our next program here at Exploring Bible Prophecy. But right now, let's, let's look at a question that has been sent in from, let's see, Pam in Indian Springs. And uh, Pam in Indian Springs asks, if the restrainer in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and let's, let's turn there while we're getting ready to uh, address Pam's question. So 2 Thessalonians, so we're in the New Testament. We go past the Gospels and Acts and Romans and 1 and 2 Corinthians, and then you get the prison epistles from Paul, and then you get into Thessalonians. And there's two books, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, so she wants us to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. All right, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 6 and 7 says, And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Okay, so uh, Pam, we've read that scripture, and let's see your question. Is the Holy Spirit... Um, 
if the restrainer in Second Thessalonians 2, 6 and 7 is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is taken away, how will people in the tribulation be saved? <laughs> that's a great question, Pam, and I'm sure uh, you're not the only one that's thinking about that. That's a uh, debated point as to exactly how does that work and can people be saved? And we know, as a matter of fact, from the Scripture, from God's Word, that there will be people who will be saved. It'll be a very difficult way to be saved, but nevertheless, they'll be saved. So let's see if we can dig into that. As long, uh, Pam, as long as there's God, there will be his Holy Spirit. And um, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 comes to mind, and that's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's see, looking, well, let's start at verse 11. I think that'll give us enough context here for what we're talking about. Verse 11, and let's, let's go to the end of the chapter. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11, it says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man, verse 14, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's an, that's an awesome thought, Pam, that we have the Holy Spirit residing with it, within us. You know, at, at salvation, the Spirit of God comes in to live within us. Uh, we know that uh, from John 14. And let's, uh, let's go to John 14. Now, you, you, you should know that um, I could easily tell you what that Scripture says. I could read it to you. But I want you to turn to it because, obviously, uh, as we talk about all the time in exploring Bible prophecy, learning how to explore for yourself is so rewarding because you learn God's truths for yourself. You don't rely on man to do it for you. And in John 14, uh, 16 and 17, it says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him nor know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So the point is that the Holy Spirit, uh, at the point in time John was writing, which was the upper room discourse, this is right before Jesus was crucified, the Holy Spirit was with them but once Jesus was glorified back to heaven and the Holy Spirit was unleashed on the church, the Holy Spirit came into the believer. 
So when the, the Holy Spirit, or, or Pam the Restrainer in Second Thessalonians 2, is taken out of the way, it simply means that the church is removed from the earth so that the man of lawless, lawlessness can be revealed. You know, the Holy Spirit is everywhere and has been everywhere since Genesis 1. It talks about the Holy Spirit on the face of the earth in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And in the Old Testament... And this is the point I want to make here. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on certain people who were righteous. And he remained on them as long as they remained righteous. If they returned to their sinful ways while they were living on the earth, the Holy Spirit left them. And a good example of that is in 1 Samuel 16. So if you would, uh, we're in John, turn way back in the Old Testament, uh, about halfway through the Old Testament, and you will find First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. So, you want to go to First Samuel. So, First Samuel chapter sixteen, and this is talking about uh, the anointing of David, the son of Jesse, to be king, anointed by Samuel, and what happens to Saul, who is the current reigning king of Israel. And it says in 1 Samuel 16, 13, and 14, verses 13 and 14, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Verse 14, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. So you can see very clearly here that the Holy Spirit came on people, and as long as they remained righteous, you know, David had a heart after God. Uh, so it stayed on him his whole life. But Saul turned against God, and the Holy Spirit left him. In fact, in Psalm 51:11, King David prays to God that God would not take the Holy Spirit from him. So it's important to understand in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on people, and as long as they remained righteous, they would retain the Holy Spirit, but it did not reside, he did not reside within them at any point in time. That didn't happen till later. So in uh, an evidence of that happening in uh, the New Testament is Matthew 24. So back to where we were before, Matthew Right at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew 24, and this is the uh, sermon, uh, rather the uh, Olivet Discourse, where he's talking about the coming tribulation period. And in Matthew 24 and verse 13, he makes the statement, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. That's the point, endure to the end. Now, if you would, go to Philippians 1, 6. So keep going to the right from Matthew Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and then you get to Philippians. And Philippians 1, 6 tells us, For I am confident of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. So the Holy Spirit stays in us during the New Testament. When the church is taken out, then the Holy Spirit will return to the Old Testament economy, and people must remain righteous to be saved, uh, to have an eternal life with the Lord. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. 
Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.